is the gospel that's being preached in your church just pretending to be the good news of Jesus Christ when it's really not? You know, I have a love-hate relationship with social media. I need to use it for my business and to help spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. However, it's full of fake news. Moreover, it's really hard to distinguish what's true and what's fake. You have to go to resources like Snopes or Just Facts to verify if it's true or not. And if you want to go check those out, you can go to the show notes. Likewise, it is with the good news of Jesus Christ or the gospel. How do you know that the church you're attending is preaching the true gospel? You read the Bible. You have 27 books in the New Testament that reveal, preach, explain, and prophesy the good news of the true salvation of Jesus Christ. The problem is some churches don't encourage you to read the Bible for yourself. At least the Roman Catholic Church I grew up in didn't. My parents didn't either. Well, they didn't know better. They too were raised Catholic. The Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians. You know, scholars say that the letter to the churches of Galatia may have been the first epistle that Paul wrote, probably because he explains in the first chapter where he got his knowledge of the gospel of Christ. Why is he an authority? He's the Johnny-come-lately of the apostles. He encountered Jesus after the resurrection. He was one of the Pharisees who stood by and watched Stephen get stoned to death. And you can read about that in Acts 7. So what was the fake gospel that the Galatians were following? Well, here's the first chapter. Pay close attention. Galatians chapter 1. This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Evil world in which we live, you can be talking about now. All right, continuing, there is only one good news. Verse 6, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let's God, let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Or anathema. You know, anathema is a favorite word of the Catholic Church. Uh, You know what we're talking about. Okay. Verse 10. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servants. I can say that. Paul's message comes from Christ. 
verse 11. Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away to Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Then, three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I met at that time was James, the Lord's brother. I declare before God that what I am writing to you is not a lie. After that visit, I went north to the provinces of Syria and Cilicia. And still, the churches in Christ that are in Judea didn't know me personally. All they knew was that the people were saying, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Galatians 1, the New Living Translation. Uncovering False Doctrine. The letter to the Galatians has been called the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. Is that what your church is preaching? If the Apostle Paul visited your church today, whether it's Roman Catholic or Protestant progressive, would he find that they're preaching the truth or a false doctrine? A perversion of the gospel of Christ? The following is from a Bible study on Galatians chapter 1 in the Bible app by John Stott. I highly recommend you guys read this. It's only, it, it's only on chapter 1, but his, uh, his book will, will, would, go, would go deeper. But this is really interesting. The, the first line is one that came out of the, the first one, which that was interesting. In the cross, the will of the Father and the will of the Son were in perfect harmony. I read that. I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. Okay, I don't think of it that way. In the cross, the will of the Father and the will of the Son were in perfect harmony. Okay, continuing. The Galatians are religious turncoats, spiritual deserters. They are turning away from him who called them in the grace of Christ and are embracing another gospel. The true gospel is the good news of a God who is gracious to undeserving sinners. But the Galatian converts who had received this gospel of grace were now turning away from another go- turning away to another gospel a gospel of works the false teachers who were influencing them were evidently judaizers they did not deny that you must believe in Jesus for salvation but they stressed that you must be circumcised and keep the law as well in other words by your obedience to the law You must finish what Christ has begun. You must add your works to the works of Christ. That just sounds so much like the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. This doctrine Paul simply would not tolerate. 
add human merits to the merit of Christ and human works to the work of Christ? God forbid. The work of Christ is a finished work. The gospel of Christ is a gospel of free grace. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, without any admixture of human works or merits. It is due solely to God's gracious call and not to any good works of our own. To turn from the gospel of grace is to turn from the God of grace. Why did Paul feel so strongly and use such drastic language? Two reasons are plain. The first is that the glory of Christ was at stake. To make human works necessary to salvation, even as a supplement to the work of Christ, is derogatory to his finished work. It implies that Christ's work was in some way unsatisfactory and that people need to add it and improve on it. The second reason is that the good of people's souls was also at stake. Paul was not writing about some trivial doctrine, but about something fundamental to the gospel. Nor was he speaking of those who merely hold false views, but those who teach them and mislead others by their teachings. The true gospel is the gospel of grace, of God's free and unmerited favor. Whenever teachers start exalting humankind, implying that we can't contribute anything to our salvation by our own morality, religion, philosophy, or respectability, the gospel of grace is being corrupted. The true gospel magnifies the free grace of God. The second test concerns the gospel's origin. The true gospel is the gospel of the apostles of Jesus Christ, the New Testament gospel. But where did Paul get this wonderful gospel? Was it the product of his own fertile brain? Did he make it up? Or was it stale secondhand stuff with no original authority? Paul's answers to these questions is found in verses 11 and 12. Quote, I preached these, I preached this gospel, Paul could say, but I did not invent it, nor did I receive it from others as if it were already an accepted tradition handed down from a previous generation, nor was I taught it so that I had to learn it from human teachers. Instead, it came through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's from the book Reading Galatians with John Stott by John Stott with Dale and Sandy Larson. Oh boy, we've got false doctrines being taught in our churches today like crazy. The Roman Catholic early church leaders invented most of the false doctrine that, that is taught in the Catholic church. I'm going to be doing a deep dive study on where Catholicism went wrong, and I'll also be doing a deep dive biography on the Apostle Peter. For now, we'll go through the book of Galatians and reveal the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Similar to what Paul said, I didn't invent this. I got it from the Bible, the definitive word of God. So for you, read the Bible. And there's two free apps that I highly recommend. One is the Bible app, and the other one is Through the Word. And they're free, and they will help you get into the habit of reading the Bible every day. And you'll go deeper, and it will be a revelation to you of the truth. And you're going to start wondering, why am I attending this church? That's not what they preach. That's not what they teach. You need to seek 
the truth. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Not guilty. That was supposed to be a gavel sound. Okay. Justification is by faith in Christ alone. We continue our walk through Paul's letter to the Galatians. In chapter one, Paul explained the problem in the Galatian churches. They were listening to false teachers, fake news. Can't get rid of fake news. We who told them that they must follow the Jewish law to be saved, that you're not just saved by grace and faith, which is the true gospel. The book of Galatians can be divided into three parts. Uh, chapters one and two, Paul defends the gospel of grace. In three and four, the gospel of grace is explained by Paul. And in five and six, Paul shows us how to apply the gospel of grace in our lives. So Galatians chapter two. In chapter two, Paul continues the story of how he goes to Jerusalem and confronts Peter. You know, think about that a second. So here's two people with totally, completely different experiences. And Paul actually goes into that. Um, but I mean, imagine they're both strong-willed men. So, you know, here's what happens. Then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again. This time with Barnabas and Titus um, came along too. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. And they supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. Even that question came up only because some so-called believers there, false ones really, who were secretly brought in, they sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations. Okay, this, this should get you thinking. Are you enslaved? by the church you're attending? Are you forced to follow their regulations? Think about that. Continuing in verse five, but we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. And the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. By the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me. For God has no favorites. Well, look at that. God has no favorites. That means the Pope isn't favored above anybody else in Christianity? That's an interesting thought. Instead, they saw that God had given me, Paul, the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. That was Peter's responsibility to preach to the Jews. Doesn't say anything here about Peter being the head of the church, holding the key to the church, he could be Pope, head, bishop, whatever, nothing doesn't say anything about that. 
For the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle to the Jews also worked through me as the apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, James, Peter, and John, who were known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. All right, so James, Peter, and John, known as pillars of the church and co-workers with Barnabas and Paul. So Peter, again, is not the head of the church. He is not the bishop. He is not the pope. He is not the pontif pontis pontificate, whatever. Now, they encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. Their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor, which I have always been eager to do. Paul confronts Peter. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision, which is part of the Jewish law. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. Peter was a hypocrite. Even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, so Paul puts Peter in his place, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. How simple can that be? It can't get clearer than that. Continuing verse 17, but suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Galatians 2, New Living Translation. Let's look at that last couple of verses, verses 20 and 21. So we can say, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is I no longer, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Okay, so you repent of your sins. 
you get baptized, you die to your old self, and you're risen again in a new life, okay, because of what Jesus did on the cross. Then he says, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die, okay? So if purgatory exists, then Jesus died for nothing, okay? That's, I mean, it's, it's just as simple as that. Purgatory does not need to exist because it doesn't exist. It's an invention of the Roman Catholic Church. And I will, I'm going to be doing a deep dive study on the Roman Catholic Church and also on the biography of Peter. So please subscribe so you don't miss out. Jewish laws, then, Jewish laws then, Roman Catholic rituals now. I can't help but, but see that there is an uncanny similarity between the old Jewish laws that Jesus fulfilled by his sin offering of himself at the cross and the Roman Catholic Church. It seems the Roman Catholic doctrine totally ignores the fact that Jesus says it is finished, meaning legalism is finished. Everybody who believes that Jesus is the Christ and repents wholeheartedly of their sins, which means stop sinning, is saved by faith, by God's wonderful grace. It cannot be bought. You cannot earn it. You cannot work for it. Jesus took your sins away permanently. It's like you never sinned. You are free. You don't have to follow rules, rituals, or regulations, a.k.a. laws, to be accepted by God. No, God accepts you because of his grace. It's free and undeserved. You can't do anything except repent of your sins. That's it. So saved equals not guilty. Free from sin permanently. It's your choice. It's pretty simple. Don't consult with other humans. Hey, not even me. Don't take my word for it. Consult God himself. Read the Bible. Discover the gospel truth for yourself. And if you click on over to my blog, I've got links to my favorite Bible apps, which are free. Um, uh, version Bible app and Through the Word. It will help you get into the habit of reading the Bible daily. And believe me, once you start, you're going to be so hungry for the Word of God, you're not going to be able to put it down. You're going to be taking it with you to work. You're going to be pulling it out during lunchtime. You're going to be pulling it out at dinner. You're just going to be, you're going to be, you know, first thing in the morning, last thing before you go to bed. You're going to want to read the Word of God because that is food for our lives. Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. Did you know that works don't get you saved? Okay, so my title could be worded more grammatically correct, but it gets a point across of Galatians chapter 3. In this chapter, Paul clearly explains the difference between faith versus works and grace versus law. It answers the question, what makes a person righteous in God's sight? Paul writes, First, we talk about the law and faith in Christ. And he writes, O foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. 
Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. In the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham then are those who put faith in their God. What's more, the scriptures looked forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. But those who depend on the law make them right with God are under his curse. For the scriptures say, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say, It is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse of for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham, so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. The Law and God's Promise Dear brothers and sisters, here's an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. Notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children, as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child. And that, of course, means Christ. This is what I am trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. For if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. Why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins, but the law was designed to, to last only until the coming of the child was promised. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. Now, a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement. But God, who was one, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promise? 
says, promises, absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. God's children through faith. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. Or any law for that matter. Sorry, I had to add that in there. Verse 26, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. And that's adult baptism, not baby baptism. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Oh, that's a great chapter. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Not a church, not a priest, and certainly not a pope. Pastor Chris Langham of ThroughTheWord.org, which, by the way, is like one of my favorite Bible study apps, and it's free, by the way, says in his lesson on Galatians 3, falling into legalism makes you dumb. <laughs> I, had, I, had to, I had to include that in there. Now, the Galatians started in the spirit, but were changing to legalism because of false teachers that Paul discussed in chapter 1, which I covered two days ago. The church, before Roman Catholicism, started in the spirit. You know, I mean, that's what happened in, in Acts chapter 2. But its leadership failed the people, and now they're stuck in legalism. It started in the Dark Ages, went through the Middle Ages, through, then through the Renaissance to now. Let's read the first two passages again, substituting some words. Oh, you foolish Catholics, who has cast any of a spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of the Vatican? Of course not. Well, that should make you stop and think if you're Catholic, especially since you see a picture of Jesus's death on the cross everywhere in Catholic churches. I'll be doing a deep dive into where the Roman Catholic Church went wrong, so subscribe so you don't miss out. The Holy Spirit is available to everyone. You know, I'm not making this up. This is the good news. This is what's in the New Testament. This is the gospel. It's the truth. It's the gospel truth. Read it for yourself. I really, I'm not making this up. Did you even know you can receive the Holy Spirit? Yes, you can. You receive the Holy Spirit when you believe in Jesus Christ, when you repent of your sins, stop sinning and tell Jesus that I, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I want to stop sinning. And you get baptized. 
if you click on over to my blog, you can click on um, on the word baptism, or you can search for the, the the why do I have to get baptized again blog, and that'll explain why you need to be baptized again if you were baptized as a child. And then you receive the Holy Spirit. Some people get the Holy Spirit once they sincerely repent of their sins. Um, some get it upon baptism. Each person is different. And over in my blog, I have links to two books um, uh, on Amazon. Uh, um, I am an Amazon affiliate. I need to tell you that. One is um, Why Grace Changes Everything by Chuck Smith. And then What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey. So I highly recommend you get these books. Uh, one of them is actually available for free on Kindle. That's why Grace Changes Everything. But you can uh, get the paperbacks through the links that are in my blog. Um, we are saved by grace so we can do good works. It's not the other way around. If you believe the other way around, you've got it wrong. Do you want to be saved? Then invite Jesus into your heart. If you don't know what to say, this prayer will help you. Pray this prayer humbly and wholeheartedly. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I am a sinner. I believe you died for my sins. Please forgive me. Right now, I turn from my sins and open the door of my heart and my life to you. I confess you as my personal Lord and Savior. I will follow you for the rest of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you click on over to my blog, um, I have the next steps in your walk with Jesus, which includes reading the Bible daily. And I got to tell you, once I became born again, I couldn't get enough of the Bible. So, so, and now I still do it. And I've read Galatians. I've read, I, I've read the New Testament several times. And each time I read it, I get something new out of it. You know, it's, it's amazing. It's God's word. You know, if you want you know, if you're saying, God, give me a sign, give me a word, give me, give me something. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Read the Bible. Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. Are you a child of God? Imago Deo. That's Latin, and it means made in the image of God. God made us that way. It's in Genesis, Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Our image to be like us. Us? Who's the us? That's God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, our triune God, the Holy Trinity. But we are not God's children until we invite Jesus into our hearts and he gives us the Holy Spirit. Then we get God's DNA. We become children of God. I think DNA is fascinating. I had mine done last year and I discovered I have 1% Sephardic Jewish DNA. Those are the Jews that lived in Spain where the majority of my ancestors are from. I have the same DNA as Abraham and Jesus. However, when I became born again, I became a child of God and I had Jesus's DNA in me in the form of the Holy Spirit. Though I may be blood kin to Abraham through Jesus, I am part of the Christian family of born again believers. This is what Paul talks about in Galatians chapter four. He's talking to a mostly Gentile or non-Jewish community. As it turns out, the Galatians are Celts. Yes, the same Celts who settled in Ireland, England, and Scotland, and also in Galicia, Spain, 
where one of my great-grandfathers was born. So I have a special fondness for these poor, misled folks. So here's Galatians chapter 4. But first I want to review where Paul ended it in chapter 3 with a powerful statement. And we read from Galatians 3, 26 to 29. For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, black or white, brown, Hispanic, Asian. No, for all you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Okay, now we go to Galatians chapter 4. Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. Okay, now think of somebody who grows up in a farm, okay? So basically, you've got your chores to do and you go do them. But you know that if you work the farm and keep it going, that once your, your, you know, your parents die, you will inherit the farm. The farm is yours. You are, you are the heir, okay? They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father, Abba, my Daddy. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Paul's concern for the Galatians. Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called God, little G-gods, that do not even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? You are trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things. For I have become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. You did not mistreat me when I first preached to you. Surely you remember that I was sick when I first brought you the good news. But even though my condition tempted you to reject me, you did not despise me or turn me away. No, you took me in and cared for me as though I were an angel from God or even Christ Jesus himself. Where is that joyful or grateful spirit you felt then? I am sure you would have taken out your own eyes and given them to me if it had been possible. Have I now become your enemy because I am telling you the truth? Those false teachers are so eager to win your favor, but their intentions are not good. They are trying to shut you off from me so that you will pay attention only to them. 
If someone is eager to do good things for you, that's all right. But let them do it all the time, not just when I'm with you. Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until crisis fully developed in your lives. I wish I were with you right now so I could change my tone. But at this distance, I don't know how else to help you. Tell me. Now he's talking about Abraham's two children. Tell me, you who want to live under the law, do you know what the law actually says? The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife, Hagar, and one from his freeborn wife, Sarah. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. These two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai where people received the law that enslaved them. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia because she and her children live in slavery to the law. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She is a free woman, and she is our mother. As Isaiah said, Rejoice, O childless woman, you who have never given birth. Break into a joyful shout, you who have never been in labor, for the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac, Sarah's son. Um, but you are now being persecuted by those who want to, to you to keep the law, just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, Hagar's son, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the spirit. Now, Ishmael, let's stop here a second. Ishmael is the ancestor of the Arabs. Isaac is the ancestor of the Jews. That's why you always hear the, um, the Jews saying the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob is Isaac's uh, son. Um, so it was even predicted back in Genesis that the Arabs would persecute the Israelites. So what's going on today was predicted back in Genesis. So don't disregard Bible prophecy. All right, continuing in the last paragraph, chapter, uh, verse 30. But what do the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. So dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman. We are children of the free woman. Whew. Well, there was, I think it was back in verse 9, I think it was. Yes. So now that you know God, or should I should say that God knows you. All right. So here's the question. Does God know you? That is the crucial question. For a long time, I knew who God was and the Holy Trinity. And because God created me, he knew who I was, loved me enough to send his son Jesus to die for my sins in place of me. But it wasn't until I invited Jesus into my heart and my life that he knew me. Jesus told us, 
in Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. <laughs> Picture this. You live in one place and your parents live in another and you find yourself homeless. Where do you go? To your parents' house. What if when you knocked on the door, your dad tells you, I don't know you, go away. You'd be hurt and dejected, homeless. Well, imagine that scene when you're dying. You're alone, not in a hospital, maybe in a car accident. There's no church or priest nearby to give you last rites. You know you're dying and you tell Jesus, I went to confession every Saturday, then mass every Sunday. I was baptized as a baby, did my first communion, confirmation, was even married in the Catholic Church. I volunteered at the soup kitchen. Hey, I even helped a priest with an exorcism. Was that enough? Jesus says to you, I never knew you. Get away from me who break God's laws. What do you mean, you'd say? I did everything I was told to do. Then Jesus would reply, you worship my mother Mary more than me. You prayed to saints when you should have gone directly through me. Those acts broke the first and second commandments. Then you might say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I repent of my sins. Please save me. If you're still alive and conscious, more than likely Jesus will forgive you and allow you into heaven. And, and you do know, by the way, that purgatory does not exist. If you click on over to my blog, there's a link to more information about that. He loves you. Jesus loves you. He does not want you to perish. Jesus knows that you were deceived by the Roman Catholic Church. In reality, you may not have a chance to ask for Jesus' forgiveness if you were dying. Heirs in God's kingdom. Jesus told us, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, what I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. That's in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. As part of our inheritance as heirs, we get a place in God's mansion in heaven. We've got our one-way, non-stop ticket to heaven. We've got our reservation in the mansion. We are set. But... You still need to become a child or heir of God. How do you do that? Well, it's really rather simple. You already believe that Jesus is the son of God and that he died for your sins. Now you must repent of your sins. That is, stop sinning. Then be baptized to show yourself and the world that you're dying to your old life and rising like Jesus to a new life as a child of God. Then you receive the Holy Spirit that helps sanctify you. Transformation complete. Start by inviting Jesus into your heart and your life. If you don't know what to say, then pray this prayer humbly and wholeheartedly. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I am a sinner. I believe you died for my sins. Please forgive me. Right now, I turn from my sins and open the door of my heart and my life to you. I confess you as my personal Lord and Savior, 
I will follow you for the rest of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Jesus' name, amen. And so your next steps in your new walk with Jesus, start reading the Bible daily. If you don't have one, I recommend YouVersion Bible app and Through the Word. Both are free and have a lot of excellent daily devotionals and Bible studies. So you talk to God, you pray, ask the Holy Spirit to guide you daily, find and join a Bible-believing church, preferably a non-denominational one, and be baptized. Jesus Christ is coming back soon. Are you ready? Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. How do you get unsurpassed freedom in Jesus Christ? Galatians chapter five is one of my favorite chapters. In it, Paul talks about freedom and fruit. Good stuff. I did a podcast on the fruit of the spirit as one of the 22 benefits of the salvation of Jesus Christ. And it's embedded towards the bottom of my blog. So click on over there um, when you're done with this podcast to listen to that one. But let's dig into Paul's letter to the Galatians. And it starts with a potent declaration of the truth. And I read from Paul's letter to the Galatians chapter five. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision or Catholic rituals, yes, I'm going to add my own little touch to this, to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you are trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, or ritualistic, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses or the Roman Catholic Church. For if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. And isn't that what you're trying to get? Continuing verse five. But we who live in the spirit eagerly wait to receive faith by the righteousness God has promised us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised or being baptized as a child or not. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. You were running the race so well, Galatians, who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. I am trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachers. God will judge that person or persons, whoever he or they are, who has been confusing you. Dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say I do, why am I still being persecuted? If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. Okay, so basically what's going on here, what Paul's explaining, is the Galatians were mostly Gentiles. So these, these so-called 
Jewish believers came in and started saying that they that even the, the, the Gentiles need to be circumcised like the Jews so that they can be saved. But no, that's not right. That's what Paul is saying here. You do not need to be circumcised to for salvation. Um, continuing, verse 13. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. Living by the Spirit's power. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses or any other church rules for that matter. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Here they come. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, Ooh. dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. And you can click on over to my blog and, and right under that Bible passage, I've got my podcast on the fruit of the Spirit. We'll go into some more detail on that. So what does freedom in Christ actually mean? Born-again Christians are not only set free from bondage of law, but they are also free from the bondage of sin because of the power of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. Freedom is, in Christ is not an excuse to indulge in the sins and lusts of the flesh. Rather, it provides the privilege of bearing the fruit of the Spirit by relying on Jesus and his guidance. Roman Catholics are slaves to the rules, rights, and regulations of the church like sinning during the week because you can go to confession on Saturday and be absolved of your sins. That makes no sense. What if you die on the way to church on Saturday? Nowhere near it. And the priest can't perform last rites. You're doomed to hell. Moreover, when you look at it, the Roman Catholic Church actually encourages sinning during the week. Just the fact that the Roman Catholic Church pushes you to worship statues of Mary and the saints is wrong. That's idolatry. 
It's one of the desires of your sinful nature that Paul mentions in this chapter. That's breaking God's law. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21, 23? He said, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. That's going to be very disheartening when you get to the great white throne judgment and you're told, I never knew you. You'll argue everything you did to gain grace points, but it won't be enough. It won't matter. It's never enough. You're going to hell. God will judge everybody. God will judge all Catholic church leader, uh, leaders along with everybody else. At the great white throne judgment found in Revelation 20 for their false teachings. And I have a link to my blog on, Revela on Revelation 20 in the blog. People worship idols because they lack a personal relationship with Jesus. You cannot be justified by following rules, rituals, or regulations. The Catholic Church has misled you all these years. It misled me for 18 of them. To reiterate Paul's first line in this chapter, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in the slavery to the law. How do you do that? With the help of the Holy Spirit in your heart. How do you get the spirit? You repent of your sins, ask, ask Jesus for forgiveness, and invite him into your heart. Then you get baptized again. Yes, again, as an adult who is dying to his or her old sinful nature and being born again to a new life with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. If you don't know how to invite Jesus into your life, just pray this prayer humbly, sincerely, and wholeheartedly. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I am a sinner. I believe you died for my sins. Please forgive me. Right now, I turn from my sins and open the door of my heart and my life to you. I confess you as my personal Lord and Savior. I surrender my whole life to you and I will follow you for the rest of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you click on over to my blog, I have the next steps in your walk with Jesus. Jesus Christ is coming back soon. Are you ready? Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. You are not free if you are a slave to religion. In listening to Through the Words lesson on Galatians chapter 6, Pastor Chris Langham said something very interesting. The word religion actually means re-bind up. Think of the word ligature, which means a thing used for tying or binding something tightly. Now that was an eye-opening revelation. I remember as a kid growing up Catholic, I was more worried about breaking a rule rather than why I was in church in the first place to learn about Jesus. Jesus told us when he quoted the prophet Isaiah in Luke 4, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, 
and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. This, and then he said, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. That's Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 19 and verse 21. Captives? What captives? Well, the Jews were bound by the law. Freedom from the law. As we finish with the last chapter of Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, let's review a couple of key points. The Galatians began in grace, but let legalism slip into their beliefs. There's two, two key points. Here's a couple of key points. One, a believer is no longer under the law, but is saved by faith and grace alone. Judaism is said to be the cradle of Christianity. And we need to think of Paul as the Moses of the Christian church who delivered us from the bondage of the law. Galatians is like the Declaration of Independence for born-again believers. And um, the, the proof is in Galatians 2, verses 20 to 21. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. That's Galatians 2, 20 to 21. Jesus didn't die so we could have religion. Galatians 5, 1. I love this passage. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up in slavery to the law or religion. Point two, freedom doesn't mean we are free to sin so we can get more grace points. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in and we're supposed to walk in the Spirit. And we read in Galatians 5, 16 and then verses 22 to 23. Um, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. So Galatians 6, Paul finishes his letter with good advice on Christian living. We harvest what we plant or reap what we sow. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you, who are godly, should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you, too, you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Pay attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. You won't need to compare yourself to anyone else, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for the teachers, sharing all good things with them. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. 
Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Paul's final advice in his own handwriting. Notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. Those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want to look good to others. They don't want to be persecuted for teaching what the, that the cross of Christ alone can save. And even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. They only want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. And the world's interest in me also died. It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. From now on, don't let any trouble, don't let anyone trouble me with these things, for I bear on my body the scars that show I belong to Jesus. Dear brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Jesus paid the price for our freedom. We are freed from sin, justified by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross when he died bearing all our sins. However, freedom is deceptive. If you are bound by law, religion, then you're not really free, are you? But temptation is everywhere, sure, and that's where the Holy Spirit comes in as our gentle guide convicting us like a loving parent, like when your mom stops you from touching the hot stove. No, honey, you'll get burned. You're not free if you belong to religion. Your freedom is through Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit. If Jesus truly sets us free, then why do we bind ourselves in religion that gets us nowhere? It's because, actually, it gets us into hell. It's because many religious or spiritual people don't really have the Holy Spirit in their hearts. I didn't for over 50 years. How to invite Jesus into your heart. Jesus won't force himself into your life. You have to surrender your life to him and invite him into your heart. To do that, you must believe, repent of your sins, be baptized, receive the Holy Spirit. Pray this prayer humbly and wholeheartedly. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I am a sinner. I believe you died for my sins. Please forgive me. Right now, I turn from my sins and open the door of my heart and my life to you. I confess you as my personal Lord and Savior. I surrender my whole life to you and will follow you for the rest of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you click on over to my blog, I've got the next steps in your walk with Jesus. So... Believe in Jesus. Remember, Jesus didn't die for your sins so that we could have religion. Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. Thank you for listening to this episode. I pray that the Holy Spirit, the author of Scripture, touched your heart to reveal the gospel truth that our hope of salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to reach out to me via my website or social media. I encourage you to read the Bible daily and seek the truth for yourself. 
I recommend that you download two free Bible study apps, the YouVersion Bible app and Through the Word. Friends, we are living in strange, crazy times, the last days, the end times. But know that things aren't falling apart, they are falling into place. Jesus said in Revelation 3, 20-22, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Jesus is knocking. It's up to you to open the door. Peter told us in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed or perish, but wants everyone to repent. Jesus is coming back soon. Are you ready? Repent of your sins and invite Jesus into your heart right now. If you don't know what to say, there's a prayer in the show notes and on my blog. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory.